0: Hey Alexa, play Machine Yearning.
1: Here's a sample of Machine Learning by Theoretics.
0: No, Machine Yearning Podcast.
1: You're new to this, aren't you?
0: Yeah, that's true. Machine yearning from assist. It's a podcast where we think and dream about the future of AI, the talking internet, and how we're reshaping our culture. Only four episodes into this podcast, we thought we'd change it up a bit. Today and in next week's episode, we have a bunch of conversations from the 2018 Can Lions International Festival of Creativity. It's where over 10,000 folks from 90 countries meet to hand out awards and chop off the future of brand communication. A great place to geek out on our obsessions, language and how people connect. How we use technology to facilitate our connections. And the hardest one, the blind spots we need to discover so we can do it better. We did almost all of our interviews on a boat, because hello, it's CAN. But it wasn't just any boat. It was the floating home of LivePerson, one of the true leaders in transforming customer care from voice calls to mobile messaging at scale. They're a huge deal in the conversational commerce world. LivePerson took great care of us and are a true friend of the pod. Starting things off, Shane sits down with Rob Locascio, Live LivePerson's CEO. We pick up where they're deep in it and asking, how can we expect to build and teach machines to do things if we don't do them ourselves? Get ready because we start at speed with a conversation on the role of empathy, the impact of bias, and all the things that make us human. We loved our time with Rob and we think you will too. Enjoy.
2: Why is empathy so important to this? What, what is it specifically that empathy, I mean, empathy is important for everyone to understand what it's like to not be yourself, but how specifically in this space does that play out? So what is empathy? It's, you know, like if we start there, it's really that
3: you are engaged with another human being. You are actively listening to that human being. Uh, you're not judging them. Um, and they are not feeling that they're being judged either. Okay. Hmm. 'Cause we all come with our biases. I see you right now, you're in a t shirt and you got your sunglasses on and I could just make a judgment that you're not serious about technology. This <laughs> <moment>. <laughs> I just got off a boat. I understand. <laughs> it was hot. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so but I'm just saying, like I could step in and I'm just making a point. I'm so I know you're serious about technology and you're a great technologist. But we have biases. If I didn't know totally. you, let's say I just sat down, I'm like, this guy's not serious. But so I have that. And then as you started to speak and I listened, I would say, Oh wow, you're serious guy really he's running a great company so forth and so on and then i let that down you know that yeah i'm not judging you and then at that there's a magic moment where there's empathy i can relate to you i can relate to your story i'm not judging you on my history of what i who i met someone like you because the brain the brain does a very funny thing it tries to optimize for sort of lack of energy you know say more what do you mean so the brain you know when we're um about 20% of our energy goes to our brain. So think of our brain is burning 20% of our energy through thought, and so, in a day, so hmm. our brain is actively trying to do is use its filters to just put you put things into a box, so I don't have to overthink it. You know, when you if you sat and overthought everything, you'll burn more than 20%. So, you're so
2: bias actually comes from save. It's trying to save energy and not have to think again.
3: That's it. Wow. So that's the first thing. The second thing bias is, is protecting. I know that you are something, or the uh, the the our past, and our past is is thousands of years past. As yeah. in, there's a there's a statistic that like ninety percent of how we're perceiving things is from a from our past. Okay, I'm talking about not our past. Just I've been around fifty years. I'm talking like from a hundred thousand years like ago. Wars. I trusted you because we went to war Correct. together and you saved me. Correct. So our brain has genetic markers all the way through and memories and then we have our current memories and then that's what basically what we're doing is saying all of that tells me a bias you could hurt me mm. okay you, you could hurt me like if you're if you were if you were black maybe i just have a natural bias because that's what i've had and that's what's been around for years in the world you know or the people in my group of people mm. i don't know and I come with that, even if I don't, it's unconscious, even though I don't even know it's there. So that's what bias is about. It's the brain optimizing. It's also trying to protect the the human from from getting hurt, from getting killed. So that's that's why it's a very powerful thing.
2: And when you have that, how do you practice empathy? Then how do you make yourself more empathetic?
3: The best way you can make yourself more empathetic is just put yourself out into things that you don't do. Like all I can, I can be, I can, I can empathize with you and with your stories if I've had a similar story. So if I've had this life that's fairly limited and I've met, then that's why diversity is very powerful and I've met uh, a limited set of diverse people, uh, my mind won't expand. Only through diversity do we change. Diversity in our environment, a diversity in the people we know. That's why building a great company with di- in diversity, it will help us change. So that's, that's really the important thing.
2: In the bot space specifically, and AI as I would say is also uh, relevant, because I agree with you on the negative tech narrative that it's going to take all our jobs, kill all the people and take over the world. What are you most optimistic about? I I don't think it's going to do that. I, I think actually,
3: first of all, I don't believe that AI should be replicating human intelligence nor consciousness. The human brain is just a tool that's being used to paint reality. That's what it does, and it paints reality based on a set of inputs it's getting from the world around us, okay? Even color, you know, we're seeing color. That's re- light reflecting off of an object, and then my eye interpreting that. I'm saying like, our brain is just doing this interpretive thing all day. Why replicate that? Yeah. I don't I don't get that, Like, it, it's <laughs> pretty good. The problem that it has is that the, the inputs it gets sometimes it, it makes a false connection to something from the past like we are saying this bias if the machine could provide me with another set of realities you know another a better way to do things for instance maps are great like google map before there was google map I may have had a bias like what do you mean I, I maybe I went down a road I see this in New York City all the time I'll be I'll go in a taxi and the guy will go take a route and I'm like why are you taking that route <laughs> and he's like because this the route that I'm taking has less traffic. And I will know that I take the other route all the time, it never has traffic. I've seen this all the time, and I'm like, the guy's like, but, because sometime in his past, he hit traffic in that one area, so he figures traffic will be there. You open yeah. Google Maps, it says it's green. I'm going. Yeah. Sometimes it says red, sometimes it says make a right, left, right, left to get around things. That's, that made my reality in the world I'm living in much easier. Like maps also allowed me to discover things. I can find restaurants, I can find things. So maps and Google maps is, is when you think about machine learning and the data, what they've done is make my, the way my brain is processing reality better. I, I can better get from point A to point B. And that's what we want is more maps created around us.
2: That's a great example. Uh, that's one of those ones where I think 50% of my childhood parents' fights were around directions to places. Yeah. Like, that is a – that hits a trigger in me of, like, remembering always, like, no, I know which way. Go left. It's not left. It's right. yeah
3: I remember every time we got stuck in traffic up in the Bronx coming back from New Jersey, my dad was convinced that a game let out at Yankee Stadium. It was, like, if there was traffic, it was a game in Yankee. Even if the Yankee – it was wintertime the Yankees weren't playing. He's, like, a game must have let out. It was, like <laughs> – because he had something to happen in his past <laughs> where a game let out and he was in traffic, you know, and 60 years later, the game had to ha- left out. So – you're right
2: that's also a great example of people trusting the machine enough and once it got there because i remember even and i would go back to the midwest and i would have google maps open and even two or three years ago that people would be like no i know how to get there faster and i'm like it literally says like i know all three routes <laughs> exactly yeah. how fast
3: um so so we'll trust the machine this goes to back to building bots we'll trust the machines when they start to paint a a reality that makes life easier for us and how we think which is not hard because most of us do trust google maps like yeah. i said some people but most of the world are trapping, uh, trusting electronic maps now you know what's fascinating
2: them. about what you just said though i never thought about this way it's, i think it's a really good analogy for bots where you have to let people see where they're going point a to point b know there's other routes but to get to the same end goal And then, you know, the friction or speed or steps in which it's going to take to get there. Like maps is actually maybe a great analogy for bot building. Yes, because in the end, um, even with maps, we have human choice. Exactly. I'm
3: not being forced. My car's not autonomous yet where I'm forced to go and take a route because it is I have choice. And so I think people still want to feel that power and they want to feel that they're going to have that choice as they
0: live their life.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Told you we were starting at speed today. Up next on today's episode from the live person yacht at the Cannes Lions, we have video producer Jessica Allen of Fancy Films in Australia. Jessica's right in the thick of a major conversation for AI, machine learning, and tech as a whole. It's this, if we want the machines to speak effectively with everyone, we need everyone to be working on the solution. Which immediately brings us to leadership. In Jessica's case, she's out with camera and crew getting people to talk about the role of woman and leadership. One of the more fascinating parts of the conversation you're about to hear are how gendered the differences are between what women and men look for in an effective female leader. We loved discovering Jessica at Cannes because machine yearning is all about the ways we navigate a new world where identity and technology and commerce and culture have to live together in ways we can't even fully imagine yet. Got an idea for a guest you'd like to hear on machine yearning? Let us know. DM us at assist on Twitter. And now, Jessica Allen.
2: What are you up to?
4: A web series. And it's called From A to Me. And it's profiling a range of uh, prominent Australian female leaders in relation to inspiring women and and our next generation of women coming up who will be, obviously, our next range of female leaders and so we're here at Cannes it's our third year and we've been using the opportunity to absorb the content around this subject because it is a very um prominent subject this year and it was last year as well um but also collect collect some supporting content um for ourselves for our big launch so we've been interviewing a lot of people and asking them you know what what it means to them what what makes a good female leader what makes a uh, an impressive female leader and and who were their female role models so it's been quite interesting um the range of responses we've been getting really
2: and what did they say what what is the answer to what makes a great female leader
4: resilience strength mm. we've noticed there is actually quite a difference between the females that we ask versus the males that we ask what what their responses are so um you know when when we're asking the women and and um even younger girls um what do you see as as a good female leader that you know strength and resi- resi- ugh, resilience and being bold and and um you know all those really great qualities that i really aspire to be in and um you know men are saying the same thing but then they also bring in other aspects like um grace and gentleness and and those kind of qualities which um i like you know whilst i see them as important as well it's interesting that um no female has listed those fascinating yeah so yeah we need to be strong and 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 you know have have grit and that kind of thing but there's also this expectation that we have to do it um lightly and Mm. with grace and beauty
2: what's the genesis story of this when did this start
4: so this started a year ago when i was here with um, my boss our creative director Um, and she is probably one of my role models and i feel very lucky to have worked with her for the last seven years and it was sparked by her this is all this is her baby and it started when we saw a a session last year a panel of women um, Gillian Armstrong being one of them one of uh, Australia's leading female film directors and she made a comment um where she said that she she gave some stats and and some quotas and she said only nine percent of directors are female Mm -hmm. and that really struck a chord with my boss and she thought that was appalling as a female director herself and she wanted to do something about it and do what she could um, using the the vehicle that she has um, with a film production company to you know spark change and and um, ha- have a response to these terrible figures. Um, and so you know then came Me Too not long after that. And you know in the response to that there was um an article on linkedin that she came across from a prominent australian uh female journalist tracy spicer and she spoke about um launching this campaign called 100 days for change in australia mm. and that campaign is asking businesses and individuals to do what they can in whatever capacity they can to help create a more equitable workplace and help close that gender gap and so as part of that my boss karen Nossel, she um decided to create this series. And um, yeah, it sort of started from there and snowballed from there. We actually got Tracy Spicer on board. And so we've already interviewed her and we're gonna be launching a video a week for the 100 days. Mm. And then, you know, who knows what will happen.
2: What I think is amazing about this uh, initiative you're going after at CAN mm. is even our podcast is called Machine Yearning. And it's that, that, you know, in this era of AI and machine learning, no one really knows what's gonna happen. Mm but we need to be intentional about the decisions we make for this next phase of the internet. Um, And it it makes me think of yesterday, we interviewed on the boat a guy named Rob Lacasio, and he just started an initiative called uh, Equal AI. And Equal AI is because he saw people naming even Alexa as a woman, mm. and it speaks like a woman, yeah. and then you tell it what to do, and turn on the lights, yep. and do all these chores. All the
4: menial tasks.
2: Exactly, and then Watson is a man, and IBM's like, this is the smartest AI, <laughs> and this is the real, and I think it's a bigger thing. Like I think mm. these two things going in parallel mm. are very actually important, mm. and probably there's a reason they're both landing here at the same time, mm. because if we don't perceive women in leadership differently or get way more in leadership like we also have to change what we're doing with this new wave of machines and ai and talking to uh bots and voice agents and all this stuff and you shouldn't name it a fucking woman like at all (laughs) i agree
4: and i've i've never actually thought of that before
2: what do you hope to see out of this how do you know that you are making an impact
4: so we work with a lot of corp big corporate um companies in australia and we would love for this to inspire them to get on board with this platform and um you know start profiling some of their strong female leaders within their organizations um to really foster you know a culture that embraces females and encourages them into positions of power um because you know that can be hard in A lot of the industries we work within are heavily male dominated industries and so as a female young or old working within that um you know you're often expected to almost become a man or exhibit you know masculine qualities um and so it's about really supporting supporting each other as females and also you know what the what the men can do as well because it's it needs both sides to work towards this Um, what can we do I think really just lo- looking at women. So, you know, simple as when there's job openings, making sure that you've got women in the mix of, of these positions that are you know up for grabs and that kind of thing. Making sure you're um, creating environments where they feel safe to voice you know their ideas and where they feel like they're heard and they're not shut down and and not sort of um, just put to the side I I heard an interesting quote um, in a session yesterday where they said it's not actually enough to have one female on a board or at a table because as one female she can only speak for females whereas Mm. if there's more than one female she can actually speak to her creative ideas her own personal ideas because she's not having to speak on behalf of all women i thought that i'd never thought of that i thought that was a really interesting observation that's great
2: Mm. it's almost like once we gave opportunity or allowed women to do things that they couldn't in the past Mm. we're still clouded by what it was like before that even Mm. though we want you to have as much access and opportunity and we're still like clouded so how do we change them how do you change your perceptions
4: it can be difficult for men to see it because they haven't necessarily experienced it a big piece of it comes down to educating the boys yeah the young men who are coming up and educating them about you know these aspects of equality and that Girls, you know, that they're interacting with are just as important and teaching them that it's not okay to do certain things. and, and cause a lot of it's like, you know, boys will be boys and all that kind of yeah. thing. Like whilst it may seem innocent, it's really sending, you know, not a great message. And part of that is showing that those feminine qualities aren't negative. So it's also giving boys and men the freedom and space to exhibit Traditionally feminine qualities and that's where the whole concept of you know toxic masculinity mm. comes in so not seeing softness and and you know those kind of things as negative traits like there's no sort of negative characteristics it's just that we give them negative yeah you know like
2: and once you get there you realize it's really mm, just giving yourself empathy mm, exactly and more empathy yeah yeah um so i agree with you the children feels like the most important place to start and then mm. that you women are more more sometimes and the same capable as Mm.
4: as the boys yeah it's just that often we're not given the opportunity to show that i really think it's in the creating opportunities drawing your attention to it so that you're intentionally including yeah women
2: i think that's a very interesting point to end on which is whether you're in a professional setting a work setting a filmmaking setting Mm. any setting to never go hey is this the greatest work yet or is this what we should do and say the question is more did we ask the right questions about inclusion
4: Mm.
2: and if not then change it
4: Mm. and and i believe that that's all levels of diversity yeah like diversity of opinion and and background and race and gender it all sort of feeds in to a better outcome and and the statistics show that a more diverse workplace produces better results financially. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you.
2: Machine
0: Jessica Allen, in the first of a couple machine yearning episodes that we're doing from the Can Lions. Machine Thanks to Live Person for helping to make these episodes possible. Coming up, we saved a great conversation with Facebook's Eric Oldrin. Eric's working at the front edge of AR and VR, augmented and virtual reality, and the storytelling implications of that technology. Eric speaks eloquently about the emotional resonance of the tech we're dealing with and about the role of empathy and agency. And he's always asking us to remember where the technology can still be fun and serve our deepest desires to connect. Eric is super thought-provoking and lovely, so let's get to it.
2: What brings you to Cannes this year? What are you doing? What brings you out here?
1: Well, Facebook has, for a few years now, had a presence at Cannes, and we just come here to connect with the creative industry, uh, you know, brands and advertisers, and people creating. Um, it's a festival of creativity, so our team in particular is really focused on Cannes as an important tentpole moment for us.
2: And when you say your
1: team, can you tell us, what, what do you do? Well, I'm part of the Creative Shop team in, in Facebook and we work with brands and advertisers really focused on exploring all of our different creative spaces and helping to show the industry what's possible and um, people both on the uh, brand and advertising side, but also publishers and creators and developers like yourself to just explore that space and try to try to push the envelope, create some lighthouse examples of what's possible and to really just inspire people and drive, uh, on my end, to drive product adoption and exploration of the space
2: and the space today for you is the ai space or the conversational space is that most of the area you're spending your time in
1: i really look at emerging platforms and products and so part of that is messaging uh, which includes conversational ai and but also things that are more sort of utilitarian built within the platform that are focused on single tasks and they do one thing really well and they're a lot of fun Um, there's one for example that focuses on events.
2: Interesting so is a key insight to keep it fun? (laughs) Absolutely
1: yeah I think it's important to create a sense of a connection between people and fun is a big part of that some kind of delight emotional connection there's an opportunity there it doesn't always have to be that way I guess but we found that brands have really defined this space by exploring that natural one-to-one personal connection um, that can be established. It's sort of like if you were a simple shopkeeper and someone walked into your store and you had a conversation with them, let's say you were, you know, selling bicycles. And that's a tough decision for you to make. You're not really sure how to choose all the different parts of that, you know, whether it's the type of bike, if you want a road bike or mountain bike or what kind of seat or and what kind of spend limit you should have. and So the shopkeeper helps you get through that very complex decision. Hmm. And we found within Messenger that some of the best experiences are ones that guide people through a really complex decision that they're trying to make. Hmm. So LEGO made a really interesting experience back during the holidays, and they've continued to evolve this, this uh, Ralph the Robot experience that they've created in Messenger. That allows parents really to understand what kind of products are available. There's thousands and thousands of different Lego kits, and so by asking parents questions uh, about their kids, you know what age are they? Do they like things that move, or do they like little worlds to walk into? Um, you know, Lego help to make some some choices, and and then you can make a purchase right there. Wow! Or if you look at things, for example, from Alcoholics Anonymous or the Belong To Bot where we're dealing with issues within our community that are really important. And oftentimes people struggle to navigate through those choices. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that case, Messenger, again, allows people through a conversation to unpack a lot of the tough things to consider in in a very personal and very thoughtful way.
2: You said uh, creating emotion. How do you think about designing emotional connection?
1: Well, I think that really comes down you know, to all the expressions that are available within the thread, within the conversation. Hmm. Um, certainly, language and syntax and words are important, and the way that uh, a bot communicates. Um, but also, all the other expressive elements that are available, whether it be GIFs or emojis or video, or, you know, even audio, I think, is a really interesting avenue for people to explore within messaging. There are certain countries what, that—
2: What What specifically?
1: Well, I mean, are you aware down in, like, I think it's within Latin America, like Brazil, and, and um, I've seen this a little bit in Mexico, where if you're texting someone, like through SMS, um, someone would record their voice, and then they'd send that as a, as a message to someone through texting or messaging, and it's a simple way without having to use your thumb, you know, and then, so they pass audio clips, basically. Huh. So I think there's interesting things to
2: do there. Are there any expressions or ways to express ourselves that uh you would be excited about or that you think are coming that we don't even know we'll express ourselves like is there anything because uh, i mean i don't think we thought gifs and emojis and all these th- emojis or all these things were coming is there anything that isn't here yet that you think is exciting
1: well i'm excited to see the shift towards visual communication so hmm. you mentioned uh, emojis and gifs and You can have an entire conversation with someone just by sending GIFs back and forth. I'll often do that at work. It's it's not only very effective, but it's also really amusing.
2: GIFs are like the first intent uh, keyboards because (laughs) basically it's a a group of words with meaning. (laughs) And we type all these letters to make words, words to make sentences, sentences to make meaning. And a GIF is just the meaning. (laughs) Yeah, it's
1: (laughs) pure raw meaning and emotion. But it's fun. It's super fun, especially the contrast between the words and the photo. The photo has this extra layer which is sort of unspoken but understood and yeah so i'm excited about that direction and uh you know within messenger for example we recently um integrated ar more into bot experiences into the platform itself yeah. so
2: it's amazing thanks. actually that was a great yeah. great i mean it changes browsing i mean i think the biggest uh critique i think of messaging as an interface or language is that browsing a lot of items is hard but all of a sudden, if you put a watch on your wrist or a Sephora makeup on your face or a Casper bed in your room or all of a sudden browsing when it's really that personal is a much different experience of shopping and it's much better than the web.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it gets you closer to that one-to-one connection. It's almost mm-hmm. as if, again, going into a store and having a conversation with a shopkeeper. You can talk about the complexity of a decision. So take, again, that Lego example. You could you know, navigate through all the different products that you might want to In in other cases you'd be browsing, but in that case there's a little bit of help with that decision and that exploration. Mm. But then the next step, yeah, is to take it and try it and then buy it. So you actually look at the different Lego opportunities, spin them around, get a a real good sense of how you might um, play with them, how your kids might play with them. And so we've seen this done in a number of different instances, like Sephora built this really, they were getting really good at AR for track to face and makeup and things like that. It's crazy good. Um, and and it, then,
2: it shows up in your cart. You try it on, you yeah. send it to a friend, and then everything you try it on is sitting in your cart.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It can turn into that. And I think there's also really interesting storytelling opportunities as well. You know, it's not all about experiences with brands and commerce, although yeah. there's an incredible amount of value there. But there's really fun things just to explore. We've seen a lot of really cool storytelling partners you know whether it's disney or again that geo or, and whatnot just playing in that space so i i think i think to me that's really exciting is the intersection between conversation connections um sort of a a, a personal very real um very um sort of real time connection yeah. and then bringing in visual experiences around that um i get pretty excited about that
2: So, two years ago then, were you thinking that AR would become part of the conversation, like when you mentioned Sephora, or was that something that happened pretty quickly uh, when it was just applied in that situation?
1: Yeah, I think we saw some really interesting mainstream-style sort of, you know, aha moments happening Mm -hmm. in AR even two years ago. I mean, Pokemon Go was that moment um, where we started to see this potential of AR. I think we saw a lot of experiments before that as well um that was crazy
2: times i I, like people were just like a whole world and everyone was just walking around catching pokemon
1: it was so fun i mean to your point earlier it really is about sort of connecting with people in an emotional way allowing a little joy in their life
2: there's this whole narrative around people are going to just talk to their robots and stuff but i think that kind of showed that people still wanted to get out and get offline and be around the other people in community and you know Maybe the AR and AI actually gets us off these devices to get into back into real life.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think we're really at an interesting place and technology will do this where it rushes forward, it feels all encompassing, people get a little worried about it, and then it finds an equilibrium that balances between the analog and the digital. Huh. And at the end of the day, technology is meant to be invisible it's meant to be part of the sort of seamless fabric of our lives and additive and joyful and and connect us that's the goal of technology is to bring us closer together not to divide us and the times where we feel like it's dividing us I think we're just that's just a little bit of growing pain and in fact it's actually moving towards this place where we will naturally move towards connections We, we as humans want to naturally be social
2: yeah do you think that you know you guys succeeded so well at getting everyone connected, and what you say about we're at that interesting moment in time where the thing that disconnects us now is we're all just staring at our phones when we are in person? You know, you look around and it's really everyone. And do you th- how does this shift back? How does this shift back to in-person connection that's not distracted?
1: Well, it's probably not a one answer. Yeah, I think part. It's, of I
2: mean, it's a global. It's a it's a now a global problem, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, At the end of the day, the way it shifts back is that we find meaning in the world around us and that the device brings our heads up because it's connecting to something important. Hmm. And the good experiences that we find within a mobile device do just that. Uh They bring you to a beautiful place. They give you great recommendations about a restaurant where you then have a wonderful evening with your friends. You know, they help you find um, products and interesting things that you're gonna have, you know, with your family and a great Christmas that you're gonna share together and, um, or AR, Brings your head up and you're actually discovering things in the world around you, or you're you're meeting people that you knew 20 years ago in high school, and all of a sudden you're reconnected and you yeah. end up getting married to them. I mean, these are real stories that happen every day. I think it's real easy for us to overindex on um, the dark side of stuff, but at the end of the day, there's far more beautiful stories in the world
2: than there are dark ones. Hundred percent, you know. And I'm curious when you say that of. Uh, that's an interesting designer philosophy for people to think about building in this space is that get to people to move their head up. Like That's actually a design thing I never thought about, which is look up. Get people to look up from their phone, not down at their phone.
1: Yeah, I mean, it can be something that you have as a design tenant, huh. or it can be something that is innately within everything you're building anyway. I, I truly, I have, a, I have faith in the beauty of humanity and the fact that, we naturally are building things that are bringing us together and causing us to look up like yeah. it, it doesn't even need to be written down on the list of your 10 design tenants. like that will naturally come out of what people build because mm. that's th- that's what they're trying to do is bring us together
2: and can you take me a little deeper into VR I'm not I don't know that much about it and I think a lot of people you know you have the people on one side that say you're just going to be in your headset all day but there's obviously some beauty and amazing things happening inside of VR what are some things that either most people wouldn't know about or some examples that you think are really good use cases of VR to show beauty and connection and feeling?
1: I think the power of AR is about empathy. Hmm. It creates a sense of presence and agency within a space. So presence is a feeling like I'm really there. It's like a lucid dream or it's like a dream and then agency is the lucid part, like the sense that you can actually take an action so you can interact and you can have an effect on that space. And when you're in, you're transported to these new, um, these new experiences. The potential for empathy that comes from that is—it's um, astounding. Huh. There, are the some of the most interesting experiences I've seen um, are ones that really bring someone into the perspective of another person or another place that they may never have experienced or they really need to. Yeah. Uh, Chris Milk did this amazing film that brought people into the eyes of a refugee. And this is 12 year old girl and they followed her journey. And I mean, it is unnerving. It's wow. absolutely just, um, if you're not changed by the end of that, something, yeah. something's wrong with you. You know, it was a really powerful experience. And that's the excitement I see in VR is this incredibly powerful Um, potential to connect and to create empathy and now imagine applying that to stories I think we've just scraped the surface when it comes to narrative and amazing storytelling within VR Um, so I'm really excited to explore that that's that's sort of um, something that really gets me gets me pretty excited
2: and because empathy is really just understanding what it's like to not be you and then not judging it essentially right like what is what specifically to you you use the word very you know very directly what does it mean to you
1: i think you i think you described it well i think it's to understand what it's not like to be you um to have a moment where you forget yourself Mm. and you you know you you walk a a mile in someone else's shoes kind of kind of feeling
2: wow Do you think the next real frontier of mindset is it's the era of the self or the individual
1: i i think uh the baby booners put us solidly in that place about 20, 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're on our way out of that, hopefully. And we're, we're sort of continuing to open, open the aperture around community and connections with yeah. other people. And I actually think we're moving to a place that's far less about self and trying to find a balance between individuality and community. And it's, it's tough. I mean, that's our age old tension.
2: I guess it would be more, it's the era of changing self to be empathetic and care more about others and be more open to others but because we weren't that because we were so focused on self yeah That's yeah i like that interesting
1: yeah. let's toast some rosé to that idea done
2: let's go have rosé we'll have a little
1: quick voice, uh, right now.
0: all right thanks for listening and thanks to the folks at live person our episodes from can wouldn't have been the same without their tremendous support Get in touch on Twitter at Assist. DMs are open. We're super interested to hear who you think should appear on the podcast. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and share this with someone who cares about how we make sense of these changing times. Machine Yearning by Assist is made by Paul Chufo and Michael Elsesser for Limina House. Have a great day.